Welcome to another installment of a sermon series we're calling Contrast Culture, and uh, it is based on uh, Romans chapter 12. And the reason we're calling it Contrast Culture is because we believe that the church is to have a distinct culture from the world. And not a counterculture, not a hostile culture, but a distinct culture. And so Romans 12 is a great primer for understanding not just the kind of culture that we want to have, but how we get that culture. And we started off by talking about the cultural center of the church, which is to be Jesus Christ, both who he is, his person, but also what he's done, uh, his death, his burial, his, his resurrection. And that by focusing in on that cultural center, we are formed into transformed individuals, but also a transformed uh, community. And much of that happens in the mind. And so last week we looked at uh, what it means to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this really sets up this, this next set of verses, uh, verses 3 through 5, because the Apostle Paul who writes this, really zeroes in on some of the thinking that we need to reject and refuse to be conformed by and accept and allow God to transform us uh, by a new set of thinking. And so he starts off in Romans 12, verse 3, telling us uh, the, about some thinking we need to reject. So he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So here he's, he's starting off by saying, don't think of yourself in this way. And the way that we're not supposed to think is more highly than we ought. Um, that's a hard word. And in essence, he's saying, human being, Christian, you need to know your place. And he's not saying you should think lowly of yourself, but that you should think rightly about yourself. Uh, reflecting on this verse got me thinking about my driving. I, I haven't lived in a city in a long time, and and so I think I because I'm living in a city, I think I'm becoming a, a an offensive driver. Now I, I follow the rules uh, to some degree until someone hesitates, and if they hesitate, I'm going to take their parking space or go to the next in the in the uh, in line in the intersection, or I'm going to make a lane chain that that serves my needs. Uh, in, according to my direction. Um, and some people in the church live like this. They uh, see an opportunity to get attention or gain power or be served, and they take it. They think of themselves more highly than they ought. Um, here's a few examples. The Bible study superstar. Um, you've been in perhaps some small groups like this with a person who is the Bible study superstar, and when... They have an opportunity to answer a question or make a comment. They always do it, and they basically don't let anyone have a chance uh, to, to speak. There's the devil's advocate. Um, they always oppose everything. I mean, if it's mentioned in a church meeting or a discussion, they're going to be against it. And they can't seem to give approval or encouragement around anything. Uh, another example, the person with the preeminent preferences. Uh, their opinion uh, or their preferences are somehow, in their mind, the right way to do things, always. Uh, we experience this with uh, the mask conversation uh, in a lot of churches during COVID, where some people are saying, 
wearing masks is how you love your neighbor. And then other people are saying not wearing masks is how you stick it to the government and show them how much you love Jesus. Um, and so each of these groups saying this is the right way to deal with masks. This is my preeminent preference. Um, another one is the victim. They always see themselves as being mistreated by the rest of the people in the congregation if people aren't reaching out to them or uh, seeing their needs in a way that is you know, helpful to them. Uh, they see that they are the victim. And, and that by no means does not mean that you can't advocate uh, for yourself or uh, if you've got needs and you think they need to be met, to, to talk to somebody about that, or if you've truly been victimized, and sometimes that happens within the church, to be willing to speak up. But I'm talking about the kind of person who is always thinking in the mindset of a victim. They think too highly of themselves. Another example is the gossip. Um, the gossip is seeking to puff themselves up by tearing other people down and ally themselves with others that they want to, to get in, you know, good with. Um, and it truly is, gossip truly is a thinking of yourself more highly than you are. Uh, and then lastly, the freeloader, right? They're always letting everyone else give generously of their time, their talent, their treasure in order to make the ministry of the church happen. And they'll benefit from that ministry, but they will rarely lift a finger to help make the ministry happen. And oftentimes these work in concert, right? It's like the freeloader is gossiping about how they're being victimized by the leaders because the leaders won't agree to their preferences. All of these are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And we are all prone to this, left to our own devices. We think our perspective is right. And, and so Apostle Paul here warning us, warning everyone, hey, be careful. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought uh, inside uh, the, the fellowship, which is the church. Thankfully, Paul doesn't just give us this, uh, this prohibition regarding our, our thinking, but he gives us a new pattern. And the new pattern really consists of, of three ideas. One is sobriety, another is unity, and another is functionality. Sobriety, unity, and functionality. So sobriety is the first one, right? He says, but think of but but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Uh, usually we think of sobriety or thinking or, or being sober uh, in relation to alcohol, right? If we're sober, we're not drunk. And so what's wrong with being drunk? Uh, you aren't in your right mind. Your reflexes are off. You can't see straight. Your judgment is impaired. I could go on. Uh, we did a free ride outreach in Massachusetts for like 20, uh, 21 years. And so we did this on Halloween weekend. We would give free rides from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., and we would give rides to about a thousand students from the University of Massachusetts. And uh, these kids were doing some really strange, dangerous, inappropriate, sometimes illegal things. And why? Uh, because they were drunk, right? They, they weren't sober. Uh, and they probably wouldn't have done these things, most likely, had they been sober. Well, Romans 12 tells us that it's possible to lack sober judgment and be completely free of the influence of alcohol. 
And again, this is all of us, and I do mean all of us. We struggle to have a clear understanding of reality. And, I, and reality is, is what I would define as knowing clearly, truthfully, accurately who God is, who we are, and who the other humans are that we live among. We literally need to know our place as human beings living before the face of God among fellow humans. And this is not just thinking too highly of yourself that's a problem. Thinking too lowly of yourself is a problem as well. The world is so messed up when it comes to a clear understanding of our place in the world. Right? On one hand, we think too lowly of ourselves. We, we think we're mere animals and we're no different than the dolphins. And then on the other hand, we think too highly of ourselves. We believe ourselves to be the masters of our own destiny, that we can create whatever reality we choose uh, for our lives, and which is much unlike dolphins. And neither of these is sober judgment. So how do we get this sober judgment? Well, we know our place in relationship to God. Uh, our vertical relationship with God is what gives us the understanding, the sober understanding of who he is, who we are, and who others are as well. Look at what Paul writes here. He says, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I mean, think about this statement. Paul puts us at the complete mercy of a sovereign God. He's even giving us our amount or measure of faith that we exercise in him. I mean, how much more dependent could we be in regard to our spiritual lives. Uh, our Christian understanding of our relationship with God is that we have been saved by grace through faith, and that faith itself is a grace gift from God. Uh, Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, in Romans 12, Paul has already mentioned grace in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Paul knows his salvation is by grace and accepts access by a faith that was gifted to him. And that has sobered him. It affects the way he interacts with other brothers and sisters in Christ, even these, uh, this Roman church that he's writing to. And he's saying, it's by the grace of God that's been given to me that I relate with you, I write these exhortations, these corrections, right? This is the opposite of the so-called uh, self-made man or self-made woman, which is such a big part of the American myth, right? That no matter who you are, you can work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make yourself as the next Steve Jobs. I mean, even if you came from American poverty, worked your way through school, got yourself in an Ivy League and, you know, got the big job and, and the a corporate world. You were still born in America. You were given opportunities to learn. You had people along the way that invested you. Now, invested in you. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, hard work doesn't matter. Absolutely, it does. But no person is completely self-made. And definitely, the Christian understanding is that we are not self-made. Now, even though that's what the Bible says, many churched people can think of themselves as self made. They think things like God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible. It's actually something that Ben Franklin said, who was definitely not a Christian. Um, that you sort of like figured out who God was and decided solely by an act of your will uh, 
that you wanted to become a Christian. And honestly, you read the Bible, like nothing could be further from the truth. If you're a genuine Christian, you are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And so that should sober us, right? And such spiritual sobriety like that sets us up for these next two pieces of the new thinking that Paul uh, is uh, exhorting us to adopt. And that is unity and functionality. Unity and functionality. So listen to him talk about both these concepts in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Uh, Paul marries these two concepts of unity and functionality together in one image of the human body. Now think about the human body. It's a diverse group of body parts all functioning together to accomplish a single unified purpose. Uh, think about as I deliver this sermon, my heart is pumping to move oxygen that it's taken from my lungs to make sure that my bones and my muscles still keep me standing upright, my eyes working so I could see what's going on, my nerves moving uh, my body parts around in appropriate ways, my vocal cords uh, creating sounds. All of this is working together, and it's working together in unity to accomplish what my brain is telling all of these body parts to do. So we in a community that is the church are, are both in unity, but also experiencing a diverse functionality. So let's talk about each of these. So unity, what is our unity around? Well, our, our unity is around truth for starters. What we believe is a big part of what holds us together. Um, uh, you know, Paul says in Romans 12, we're one in Christ. But Romans chapters 1 through 11, he's been giving this like thorough explanation of the basic truth claims of the Christian faith known as the gospel. And so he, he is very clear that part of what makes us one is that we believe in the person of Jesus and what Jesus did for us at the cross to die in our place, to forgive us of our sins, to reconcile us with God, and to bring us together in the church uh, as brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And so we're not held together by some sort of preference or cultural affinity. I mean, there's nothing wrong with enjoying, you know, common interests and, and those kinds of things, but we're not in the same room doing this stuff together because we're American or we're white or we're like sports or we like playing D, you know, playing D and D like, like these are not what unifies us. What unifies us um, is that we are one in Christ, and there's a truth, a set of truth claims that communicates to us who Christ is and what he's done. But also there's a unity in the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. He describes this beautiful, humble, gentle, patient, bearing up under, uh, you know, for one another in love, and then says it's main, being maintained by the Holy Spirit. 
And this is fantastic news because there's no way we could do this by ourselves. I mean, just having even some truth claims to rally around is not enough. I mean, think about our own country here in the U.S. We have a U.S. Constitution. You know, most most you know the, of the each of the political sides is like, yes, the Constitution is good. We agree with the Constitution. We we want to keep the Constitution around. And yet, even though we have this information, this document, we still can't be unified. And so just the same is true in the church. Like even if we, we agree on some truth claims and we agree that this is what we believe about Jesus, uh, which is huge, we, all, we still need supernatural assistance to stay in unity around uh, those truth claims. And so uh, as, as we drove away a year ago, uh, and it's been just over a year that we drove away from Massachusetts, from the church that we had planted in 1999 and pastored for 22 years. And you're driving away, and you're thinking, "Are they going to make it? Like, are they going to are they going to stay uh, as a as a community on mission in the context where that church was planted?" And I'm 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 glad to say, <laughs> yes. And as I talk to some of the leaders there, I can hear in their voice and what they're saying that they're rallied around the gospel. Like they, they know that that is uh, the number one thing that they need to focus on. And, and, and yet I also know that they're being assisted by the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in that church and is helping them to stay in community and on mission. Which brings me to my third uh, thought about unity is that I also have a unity of mission. And uh, this one should go without saying because if you're unified in the truth by the Spirit, uh, one of the overflows of that is going to be you're going to be on mission to reach people with the gospel and uh, to, to gather them into the local church. But it, honestly, it's hard to know sometimes if you are genuinely unified in the truth and by the Spirit. And one of the ways that you can know is if your church is on mission. If, if you are actively loving your friends and neighbors and declaring to them, and proclaiming to them the good news about Jesus. If that's not happening, then you're not truly unified, and you're definitely not experiencing the functionality that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Because the Spirit of God is on a mission to make the truth of Christ known in the world, among our neighbors and among the nations. And so as a church, we talk about being centered on Christ, serving our neighborhood, and being sent to the uh, to, to, to the nations. And, and so this, this is, we describe that because we believe that's a healthy uh, church. Uh, and, and this is part of how we know if we are unified in Christ. And it's also part of how we know if we are being functional. Uh, and this is the, the next idea uh, around this, this new thinking that Paul is inviting us to adopt. He's, I'll read it again in verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Notice that all the members of the unified body have a function. Now next week we'll talk about some of the specific spiritual gifts that are given to us. Um, but one thing I want you to, to know is that there are no bench warmers in the church. Um, you know, this past week, uh, I was listening to the backup quarterback uh, of the University of Texas, Hudson Carr, give an interview. 
And uh, as, as some of you know, the, the QB1 got hurt. And so Hudson had to go in and play against Alabama, and he did a good job. And so they were interviewing him, and, and, and he said, you know, I, I prepare as if I'm going to be the starter every week. But, you know, honestly, Hudson is usually not the starter. He's usually on the bench. And that's not the church. Nobody's on the bench, or no one should be on the bench, right? Everyone's on the field. Everyone's gifted. Everyone's called. There's, there's, there's an opportunity uh, for everyone to use their gifts in a form of some kind of calling in the body of Christ. Now that includes, you know, programmatic things, things that are part of the church structure, but also uh, definitely includes the organic relational ministry that's going on between the people that are inside the church, but also the, the relational organic ministry that's going on out in the world when the church is sent out. Uh, to be a part of where they work, where they where they play, where they live, uh, they're using their gifts uh, for the mission of God, and everyone is on the field. And it lets us know that unity is not uniformity; that there is a unified diversity of gifted, called people who are serving one another and on mission in the world. And this can only be accomplished with the sobriety that we spoke of earlier, not thinking of ourselves too, too highly, not thinking of ourselves too lonely either. We know when it's time to step back and let others lead. We know when it's time to step up and use our gifts to build up others and contribute uh, to the mission of God. And I know this sounds so utopian, right? How on earth would we all become so sober that we know when to step up and when to step back? Um, and again, how, how does this come about? And it's similar to what brings about unity is the same thing that brings about functionality. So one of the things that brings about functionality is the truth, right? The gospel gives us the spiritual sobriety that we need to embrace the gifts and calling that God has given us and work in concert with others, right? So back to Ephesians 2, 8, uh, we read this earlier, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we read that earlier, right? We, we said, you know, salvation is by grace. Uh, so is the faith that we exercise it. And the, the ongoing faith as a Christian, it's all grace. And then look what the Apostle Paul writes in the very next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. Paul lets us know, not only are we being saved from something, we're being saved to something. We're not only being saved from sin and its effects through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, but we are being saved to a life of exercising our gifts in a calling that's particular to us. And I, again, I, I said I, we were going to start talking about these particular gifts next week, uh, but also on the following Sunday, uh, following Wednesday, when we meet for core group. Now, again, not only do we need truth, but we need assistance from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Holy Spirit is also assisting us, not in, only in our unity, but in our functionality. So check this out. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, starting with verse 4, says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And these are varieties of activities, but in the same 
it, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Letting us know that the same Spirit that brings the unity that we talked about earlier is also accomplishing the diverse functionality in that same body. The Spirit is giving gifts to all the brothers and sisters in Christ in the, in the local church and animating those gifts, giving, giving power to those gifts so that they can be deployed inside the church but also out in the world uh, on mission. And each person in the body of Christ has been recreated in Christ uh, and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to function in the body. And, and so the next part, again, you may be thinking, that sounds utopian. How on earth are we going to actually live that out? And part of it is get yourself in community. Um, that, yes, we need the truth of the gospel. Yes, we need the assistance of the Holy Spirit. But we need to work this stuff out in community. And the church is supposed to be an equipping community. Um, where do I get that? Well, places like Ephesians 4. Uh, verse 11 says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints. That's the members of the church for the work of ministry. Um, it is clear from scripture that, that the, the, the church is to be equipping uh, the members of the church to employ their gifts in the church and out in the world, and here in this Ephesians 4, it describes some leadership functions or giftings that are employed in the church to equip the members. Uh, they're kind of spiritual coaches that come alongside members in the church and help them discover and grow in their gifts. And all of this is centered in Christ, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But you can't get equipped if you don't unify yourself with a local fellowship. Um, when, when you get involved in a, in a local body of Christians, the, the, the local church, uh, it's there where you can work out what your gifts even are. Uh, for myself, I, when I was a college student, a young Christian, um, I, I, I was in a Bible study at one church, and uh, I was attending another church, and I went to this other church that... Uh, didn't have Bible study, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to this other church down the street to do Bible study, and it's really it's really awesome, and I, I wonder why we don't do it here. And the pastor said, well, why don't you lead it? <clears throat> and so I was like, okay. And so, you know, little six-month-old Christian me uh, started leading a Bible study, and it was really rough around the edges, and I'm sure I said some things that weren't right, um, but God used that group, and the group grew, and 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 Students in that group were becoming Christians, and it was one of those places where I was like, oh, I think maybe this teaching thing is part of my gifting, part of my calling. Because uh, one of the things you're getting in the community is you're getting feedback. And so I remember talking to a student, uh, this is a few years ago uh, at the University of Massachusetts, and uh, this kid was like, yeah, I'm just starting random Bible studies up with guys that I meet. And I'm like, you mean you're just doing it on your own? And this, you know, this guy's like a junior in college. And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, tell me about these Bible studies. He said, well, they're like five hours long. We just study a big passage and we just talk forever and ever. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's not going to last long. And then a few weeks later, we talk and he says, uh, I say, how's it going? He's like, yeah, these, these Bible studies are growing. <laughs> 
And so then I was like, okay, this this guy, he's got some gifting. And and so he then eventually became an intern at our church and uh, is now on the staff there at Mercy House in, in Massachusetts. Um, and the other day we were chatting and he was like, yeah, Robert, I'm, I'm not doing the five-hour Bible study anymore. And I actually like created an organized plan for my Bible study. So um, the, the rough edges of his gifting are, are getting... Uh, smoothed off, and and uh, he continues to be really fruitful as a Bible teacher uh, in the local church. But this is not just for Bible teachers, right? I remember a, a very quiet grad student that started coming to our church on Sundays, and I found out she went to OU, and so you know we had a little bad blood between us, and and uh, kind of laughed about that rivalry. And of course, no one in Massachusetts even understood that, but. Uh, she did, and I did, and we we would chat a little bit, but she was really shy, and uh, I would try to get to know her, and, and it just seemed like she didn't like me, or you know, I'd forgotten to wear deodorant that day, or something. I don't know, but she didn't didn't really want to talk to me. And uh, but but eventually, I invited her to just start running slides for the songs and the sermons, and she was like, "Yeah, I'd love to do that." Well, she did an excellent job. She was there early, and she you know just did everything to the utmost degree and then we approached her to say well, could you help us with like the setup of the room in the, in the on Sunday mornings and so she did that did an excellent way and I I see her kind of migrate over to the name tag table and and uh, so she started helping with the name tags and, and starting to chat more with people and get to know more people and then uh, we lost our overseer of the greeters on Sunday morning and so we asked her would you kind of oversee the greeting and so she did that and 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 then I, I her um, PhD was finished, and it was her last Sunday, and I was watching as she was walking around the room, smiling, hugging, connected to so many people, and partly it's because she had been serving her body, and, and really, the, the, as she had served the church body, had discovered her own gifts, callings, passions, and that really would not have happened had she not been in a church community. So how do we respond to, to this? I think there's some different ways. Uh, one is you may have never gotten spiritually sober. Uh, you may never have uh, admitted to God that you needed the grace that Christ has, has uh, afforded you by his death on the cross, uh, a grace that forgives you of your sins, a, a grace that also uh, employs you with a whole set of gifts and a calling within his local church and you have not come to that place where you admitted, you know what, I'm not self-made. I need to be made by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you've not yet done that, I want to encourage you uh, to exercise faith. And again, you, you know, what we've talked about, this is a gift that you even have this unction to want to trust uh, in what God has given you in Christ. But this morning, if that's where you are, I want to encourage you uh, to receive that grace by faith and, and to, to enter into this new spiritually sober existence where you know your place, you know who you are living before the face of God and how you live among those who are uh, in need all around you. And so you're seeing both your neediness in your sobriety, but also that you're needed um, in the body of Christ uh, to exercise your gifts to build up others. A second way you could respond to this, I think, is, is to really seek to employ your spiritual gifts that God has given you. And you may not know what those are yet. Uh, part of seeking to employ them is to figure out what they are. And I, I want to let you know that we're going to be talking about that more uh, in the coming weeks. 
the specifics of what these spiritual gifts are. And as you hear these descriptions, I think you'll start to get a sense of, okay, I think I have these strengths, these passions, and things that uh, you can employ in the, the body of Christ. And then thirdly, uh, join a local church. If not Rich Top Church, join another church. Um, we we are in the very opening stages of our church, and so we've we've had three whole Sundays that, that we've gathered, and we've got a vision night coming up this Wednesday. We've got membership class on October twenty second. Uh, I want to encourage you if if you live in Austin, Texas, and and you're here in Central Austin, especially that you would join us and uh, come to these events and and take the step of becoming an official member of our church. But if not our church, another church. Um, because this is where you're going to figure out what your gifts are. You're going to figure out uh, how you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works.